SEC fans, this is John Christ, senior writer for Saturday Down South, and welcome to another installment of the SDS Podcast. Coming to you from the iHeartMedia studio, WDAE in Tampa, Florida, 620 AM and 95.3 FM. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at SaturdayJC. And our guest for this episode is Corey Long, who is our recruiting expert here at Saturday Down South. Even better, he's right here in studio alongside me, making the conversation that much better. Be sure to follow him on Twitter as well, at Corey Long. And Corey, we've done a lot of work together the last few years, but it's great to finally meet you in person now. Yeah, this is great. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. This is uh, Let's talk some crouton. Yes, lots of crew, and this is the time of year, especially with the early signing period coming up. But before we get to that, if you're listening, then you know the South loves football, and the only thing the South loves even more is Crystal Burgers. That's right. Crystal, home of the classic Crystal Burger. They're a Saturday Down South sponsor this year and ready to hook you up for your tailgate. The classic Crystal, the one you grew up with, the one you loved in college way after midnight, it is still only 79 cents all day. Every day, as many as you want, 79 cents each. But best of all, Crystal is going to take care of our SDS readers and listeners this fall. Text SDS to 37793. You're going to get two free crystals and a drink. 79 cent crystals. And even some of those free crystals, I guarantee if you show up to your tailgate with a steamer pack full of crystals, you're going to be treated like the hero that you are. Stop by your local crystal today. And now, Corey Long. Corey, the uh, coaching carousel combined with the early signing period for the first time. That was quite a vicious cocktail in the SEC, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been rather it's been a rather wild couple of weeks. I mean, it was almost like you were dreading the season ending because you knew what was coming next. Yeah, I don't think anybody truly knew how to experience this new early signing period, which is December 20th through 22nd, a three-day window that opens up Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week. But clearly it had a major, major impact on all the coaching changes through the SEC. But give us a brief synopsis of how this is all going to work. This Because this is brand new for the coaches, for the media, for the players themselves. We've never had this before. Yeah, uh, like you said, you know, it's a three-day signing period. Uh, these are these are these are these are letters of intent. I mean, when you sign these uh, when you sign these letters, you are signed, sealed, and delivered to a school. This isn't a situation where, you know, in the past they've signed these uh, financial aid agreements, so you can talk about a player without being punished and things like that. But they're not committed to the school. When they sign these uh, letters of intent, early signing, they are committed to the school. The coaches will be allowed to talk about them. They'll be, you know, for more or less, for better or worse, they'll be in the program. And they'll have to start dealing with program guidelines. That means that, you know, as a as a, as a player, you can't. You know how you know recruits like to go out there recruit other kids, things like that. You know, once you're in the program, you can't do that stuff anymore. So, you know, there's a couple couple little things. I mean, for the most part, if you're familiar with basketball early signing day, it's not that much different. It's just it's the same thing. It's just you're signing your letter about six weeks earlier than the uh, quote-unquote traditional signing day. And this day was designed more or less to uh, – because within every class, especially your major classes or even or even really any program, you've got about 50% of your, your class that's just solid, that, you, that that school was their only choice. They're not interested in the recruiting process. They don't want to take phone calls. 
I don't want to do anything like that. And I just want to sign. So we let them sign so you don't have to worry about that batch of young men anymore. They can get in the program early. Now, this is different than early enrollment. This isn't to say right. that an early signing can't be an early enroller. They can obviously can do whatever you want if you've got the uh, if you credits. But this isn't like early enrollee, which is where you just you just show up on campus in uh, in January. In this case, these are actual early sign letters of intent, so they're going to be part of the program within the program rules. Yeah, this was sort of leading me to my next question was, how much do you think this was a product of the early enrollees and how that there's so many more of those than there was a generation ago? It's not uncommon to have six, eight, ten guys from a class of 22, 24, maybe 26 that are on campus in January, but they don't quote-unquote officially sign yeah. until the first Wednesday in February. Yeah, and and, and the, the, the thing about early enrollees that was a great little tactic for coaches was that they counted to your class number last year, which so it, so it was always beneficial to have some early enrollees depending on how you wanted to work the numbers in your class. Now, early signings, they – are part of your class this year. That's part of your regular number for this year. So, again, and and that's one of the areas that I'm not fully as versed on as I probably should be is exactly do early enrollees still count to last year's class and early signings count to this year. Like certain things that I, I still, you know, because there's so many little tricks of the trade. There's when a it comes lot of to, gray area out yeah, there right now. When, when it comes to finagling the numbers. So, and that's one of the things that I really, like I'm still trying to get versed on Early enrollees I know are part of this year's number. No, excuse me, early signings I know are part of this year's number. Early enrollees in the past were part of last year's number, which is how programs like, for example, we'll say USC, who uh, had those sanctions a few years back, how they were still able to sign pretty meaty classes is that they had a ton of early enrollees that they could count to last year's number. So if you had a bunch of kids coming out, you had a bunch of new early enrollees going in, your numbers didn't change that much. And even if you only if you, if you were down quote five or seven scholarships based on sanctions, you could still sign a full class because you were filling in last year's numbers, and it's a it's a it's it's really very algebraic, you know. And very I, good word. It's, yeah. it's always been very. I mean, yeah. I've been doing this for quite some time, and I still can't give you a great dictionary definition <laughs> of what the hell a gray shirt is. I haven't quite figured that well, out. Yet. Well, a gray shirt is uh that's a that's a player that uh. He is not going to play. He's not going to sign the upcoming season. He's going to gray shirt, which means that he'll be an early and early for the following season. And that is usually another numbers game. That's a player that. But he has to pay his way for at least a semester, right? Yeah, well, yeah. If he's going to go to school, there's going to pay his way for a semester. A lot of times they end up going to, you know, the local community college or something like that. But this sounds the like the wire cheaper. to me. We're just juking the oh, stats here. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a, yeah we're totally, we're totally trick. I mean,. If there's a loophole, every coach is going to find it. And they found every loophole possible in recruiting. So. Yeah, that's that's how Nick Saban has a coaching staff of 35 guys now. He found the loophole just by making everybody an analyst. And anybody, technically, they don't yeah, coach. Support staff, quote-unquote, yes. So who are some of the teams in the SEC right now? We're, again, a, a week away from the early signing period, still a ways away from that first Wednesday in February for National Signing Day, but who are some of the teams who seem to really have some momentum and might have a really, really splashy time these next three days next week? Uh, well, you know, I, I talked to Will Muschamp last week at the Outback Bowl contract signing. He seemed really happy about early early signing anyway, but he also said that he thought he was going to have about 
a dozen uh, players that were going to be signing early, which is that's half your class right there, and that's a pretty good haul. And I think he feels comfortable with the way that staff has recruited that he's able to uh, that he's able to be, feel secure that about half of his class is going to sign early, and that that takes a lot of pressure off of coaches because you can everybody can then focus on officials for their bigger targets, their undeclared targets, and things like that. So I think South Carolina is a program that I think is going to do very well in early recruiting. Uh, I think LSU is going to do very well, mainly because, uh, you know, they recruit a lot in-state, a lot of Louisiana, a lot of heavy, heavy, heavy LSU forever type of kids are going to that program. So I would predict that they'll probably have about 10 or 11 guys sign early, Again, just takes a lot of pressure, especially when they're really going to be focusing the final, you know, after that dead period, focusing on really getting some bigger targets and that are go- they're going up against their top competitors with. So, you know, LSU is a program that I think will do well. I think any program that had a coaching change is really scrambling right now. Of course. Now. Uh, you know, so you're looking at you're looking at Tennessee, Florida, Texas A&M, Arkansas. I think because. They're in that funny spot where they walked into a group of commits, some they might like, some they don't like. So the, the ones they aren't necessarily crazy about are going to decommit. Some that just don't want to be part of this coaching staff are going to decommit. So you've got other schools picking at your players. You don't really have – you're trying to – you're trying to bring over some of your commits from another program, hope that they'll roll early with you. It's just a mess. So if you've got a if you're a school with a coaching change, I mean, it's just not. It isn't working out for you this year. It helps a little bit, you know, in terms of putting together a staff and kind of know what you are. But early recruiting is not going to do much for you. Matter of fact, in many cases like that, you'll see a school like Florida probably sign less early recruits than they would have had there not been a coaching change sure. because some of those kids, A, want to still meet the staff. They want to decide we're going to take some officials elsewhere. We want to take an official with this staff. We're not sure how the staff is going to fill out if we even want to go there. Especially if you're like a four-star quarterback, yeah, Matt like Corral, Matt coming Corral, from a long yeah. way away. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting wooed by Ole Miss. Yeah, and I mean, he, you know, his, his issue is Dan Mullen comes to Florida. Dan Mullen, Matt Coral's not his guy. It's not. I think he thinks he's probably a pretty talented prospect, but might not be a fit for the Dan Mullen offense. Dan Mullen must have talked to twelve quarterbacks before he got to Matt Coral. So obviously he's looking for it all. now, and this is when it gets tricky because Dan Mullen knows he needs an arm in this class, and if worse things come to worse. Matt curls his arm, and that's fine. He can He's talented enough where he can figure out how to use it, but he desperately needs a quarterback in this class. So losing a quarterback that would have probably signed early and still having to fight these next four weeks after the dead period to get an arm and get a quality arm, because Florida doesn't have a lot of quality arms right now, if any quality arms, it, it's, it's tricky. So a lot of times if you're in a coaching change, just the early recruiting is a wash. And really, to be honest, this whole recruiting class might be a wash the way things are going now. Now, you mentioned the Gamecocks earlier. According to 247 Sports, the composite rankings, that's what I tend to pay attention to. The Gamecocks are up to number six in the SEC, which is pretty strong. A nice showing so far from Coach Muschamp. As you mentioned, if he signs half his class next week, that's a very good sign. He's ahead of Florida right now, which is seventh. You also mentioned the Volunteers. 
A month ago, this was the number six class in America. There's been so many decommitments from Rocky Top. Tennessee is now number 12, not 12 nationally, number 12 in the SEC, only ahead of Arkansas, only ahead of Ole Miss. So that is the difference in the coaching cycle right there. In Columbia, they're very comfortable with Coach Muschamp, and you had to throw a grenade on the place in Knoxville. Yeah, and I mean, they just – kids just dropped out of that thing right and left as uh, they were going through and, and they were swinging and missing on every coaching uh, – Every coaching overture they sent out. So, and then you know you bring in a guy like Jeremy Pruitt, who's a really aggressive recruiter. He's really going to go after every top player that he can within Tennessee's recruiting range, which for him is going to be probably Virginia down the eastern seaboard through the Gulf Coast, and of course into Georgia. So, I look at Tennessee's class, and I say anybody outside of maybe. Three or four players is probably won't be in there. It's just going to be a, a completely different class when he's done with it. And they just lost their big four-star quarterback. His name is escaping me at Martinez, this point. Yeah, Adrian I think. Martinez. Yeah, he, went yes, to Nebraska. He, he just went with Scott Frost in Nebraska. So that is a major, major loss. There's one coaching non-vacancy anymore. A hiring I want to talk about in particular. Recruiting is obviously always a factor in making a coaching hire. That's one of the yeah, reasons absolutely. a guy like Jimbo Fisher ends up at Texas A&M. We, $75 million guaranteed that too, dollars. That too. You know, someone could recruit, but Jimbo <laughs> can recruit. That's yes. the reason why he got that job. But I really want to highlight Chad Morris at Arkansas because that seems like a really, really recruiting-specific hire for a program that's a real niche program in a tough battle with the big-time boys in the SEC West. Chad Morris is a guy who is a god in the state of Texas. Big-time background there as a high school coach. He obviously had a lot of success recruiting when he was the OC at Clemson with guys like Deshaun Watson. And even before him, you know, Chad Kelly was the guy he brought to Clemson. Yeah. But this is a guy who needs to recruit the state of Texas, needs to steal some kids out of Louisiana, get that occasional four-star kid out of Florida. I don't know if that was Brett Bielema's forte. The style he was trying to play, the athlete he was trying to recruit, didn't work for that program, didn't work for that division. I would love for you to talk about Chad Morris as a contrast to Brett Bielema and how that might be a good thing for Arkansas in particular. Well, like you said, Chad is a Chad is you know very much a uh... – a, a Texas forever high school sort of guy. I think he was 11-time high school coach of the year in Texas. And what I've learned, and I learned this particularly from following Baylor, is that or Art Browse, who also had a very heavy Texas high school coaching background, is that Texas high school coaches will take care of each other. And I found that out by kind of, you know, when I was really following what Charlie Strong was doing at Texas and comparing it to what Art Browse was doing. I found out, you know, Texas high school coaches, they, A, they wield a lot of power in that state when it comes to recruiting, and they really love to take care of their own guy, especially if he has their background. And that was why people often wondered, well, why does Baylor get these kids? And this kid was only rated this. And so sometimes, you know, these coaches were a little slick. They would kind of, they would kind of hide certain kids and only pass them along to their guys because that was our browser. It's like high slow school. playing a poker hand. Exactly. That was our guy. So we're going to take care of him. We're going to hook him up with our best player. Yeah, he's not highly rated because we don't send him to a bunch of camps and we don't do a bunch of stuff with him because he's – and that's where I think Chad Morris is going to get some really good – good finds out of the state of Texas is because he's got those long, deep relationships with the coaches there, and the coaches are going to give him 
far more of a heads up on the players that they know can play at the SEC level than they would a coach that doesn't have that sort of a background. Now, you know, that's going to be curious seeing Jimbo, who doesn't have a Texas high school background, but is obviously a well-established coach with a national title, Heisman Trophy winner under his belt. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays. But, yeah, Chad's going to absolutely have to clean up in Texas. Um, You know, he's definitely going to have to – and more than clean up in Texas, he's going to have to clean up in state. He's going to have to get – you know, Arkansas has got a few players every year. He's going to have to get those players. And that I think that's going to be more of the trick for him, not so much the Texas play. I think the Texas play, he's got pretty good. I think it's the in-state play, like you said, sneaking a kid out of Louisiana, getting certain kids out of the state of Florida, the state of Georgia to kind of complement that. But I would expect the, 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 the Razorbacks class to be – 50% Texas. I really would, if hmm. not more. I think he's really going to go hard. I think that roster is going to change a lot in terms of the amount of Texans that are going to be on it. So this is sort of an on-the-fly question based on your Texas answer and the way the culture is there. I would love for you to sort of detail what recruiting the state of Florida is like versus Texas versus a California. We all assume those are the three ripest places to find recruits. You know, there's counties in Florida you can shake a tree and a four four <laughs> kid's going to fall out. You can say that about Southern California. You can say that about Texas just about anywhere. But the way the coaches work, the way that the college coaches go, the relationships they have – just what are the subtle differences from state to state? Well, I, I always said, you know, in Texas, I think the the high school coaches run the show. I really do. I think if you look at, you know, what coaches have to say to high school, the high school coaches in Texas to reassure them. I remember last year, I think it was a uh, Tom Herman and uh, I forget the coach at Matt Rule, the coach at Bill, and a few others that they went to the Texas High School Coaches Association and said. We're not going to recruit kids from IMG Academy. Yeah, that was Matt Rule's thing. That we're not going to recruit kids from IMG Academy, which is ridiculous because there are a lot of very good kids That's at where IMG Academy. the best Academy. players in the country are. And it's like if you're telling somebody you're not recruiting IMG Academy, you tell them right away, we're not going to recruit the top players in the nation because several of them go to IMG Academy. And the idea is that you, you want a coach to go in there and say, well, listen, I'm going to recruit players that are going to help me win, you know, and then, you know, that'll, but they were so intent on making the Texas high school football coaches feel good and feel like they're, no, we're not going to recruit kids at IMG Academy, which like I said, is ridiculous in Florida, excuse me, in Florida, it's a lot more recruit based. I, I find that. First of all, there's a lot of coaching turnover. In there's the a state. lot of handlers. There's a lot, a lot of uncles. Of, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. So, I'm guessing so, that's not as much in Texas. Yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, I mean, in Florida, it's a lot more about the recruit, a lot more about the family, not so much about the coach, because a lot of coaching turnover in this state. A ton because coaches don't make any money here, so there's a lot of turnover in this state, and oftentimes, you know, coaches don't get county support. So uh, when we're here in Tampa and Hillsborough County, I think there's like eight jobs open in this county alone. Wow. Of you know, public high schools, the major high schools, Jefferson High, Robinson High, where you know, where where prospects go to school at. So so I so what what you find is that, you know, the the coaches are dealing a lot more directly with the player, with the family. Obviously you have to go through the coach at the start just to see who's there, to see what your targets are gonna be. But I find that it's a lot more player family based. Uh, coaches don't have as much influence, if any real influence, 
on where a player is going to go in a lot of situations. Like you said, a lot of handlers. You get, you know, we can talk about, you know, seven on seven, seven on seven coaches. We'll that, get to that. Don't you worry. Know, all all kind of stuff like that that really kind of kind of changes the process. You know, they take these bus tours. Um, there, there's a lot that goes on, and as you get further deeper into the state, especially when you get down to Tri County, down to Palm Beach, Broward. And Miami Dade County, it gets you know it it really multiplies in terms of the random outsiders you have to go through to and, and the different ways of, of doing things in terms of recruiting and it, it's it's a lot and it's a little complicated. I hate to, that's kind of a kind of a cop out answer, but there's a lot that goes into it, especially when you're talking about <clears throat> the top level kids down in South Florida. Is that <clears throat> excuse me? They, um, you know, that there's a, that, you know, more times than not, you're looking at what seven on seven program they were with the South Florida Express, for example, with the Florida Fire. Who are those coaches? You know, uh, you know, you get into situations where a high school head coach like Patrick Sertain, who's the coach at uh, Plantation American Heritage, his son is arguably the best cornerback in the nation. And there's just, yeah, I think it's a five star kid. Yeah, different rumors that, Oh, well, I heard that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was trying to hire Patrick Sertain on his staff, or Dan Mullen was trying to hire Patrick Sertain onto his staff so they can get his kids. So, a lot of, it's just there's a lot going on in Florida. What I found in California, um, what, I, what I found there is that it's a little bit more laid back. The recruiting process is a lot more laid back. The players are a lot more laid back. I've had some of my favorite conversations with prospects from California that I caught them just coming off the beach. I never forget this one kid. I can't even think of his name going to USC. And I mean, he was just the most relaxed kid the whole pro. So, what are you going to do with your recruiting? I don't know, man. You know, there's just all these schools and we're just. You know, we're just going to chill. We're just going to see what happens. We're going to go and see where I feel good at. And it's just a, you know, I, I think I think it's it's a very, California for as many players as they have, as, as big as that state is, I think it's a really, in a lot of ways, it's just not a very stressful recruiting situation because I think the kids – they don't sweat it so much, you know. If they're if they want to be out of the Pac-12, they figure, oh, I'm gonna go to a Pac-12 school. Which one? I don't know. Whichever one recruits me, and you know, I'll pick from those schools, and that'll be fine. And uh, you know, the the more the more aggressive California kids generally don't stay on the West Coast. They're generally the ones that try to come east, try to come southeast. Uh, you know, there's one. I think there's a California. Safety that's going to Ohio. I can't think Ohio State. I can't think of his name, but he's really he's an aggressive kid recruiting. I think he he called out the FSU staff for being morons. They oh, didn't that's offer, right. They didn't offer. I don't him. know and the then, kid's name, but uh, yeah. yeah, he called out the FSU staff, and then like an hour later, they offered. They him. offered him. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, you know, but most most California prospects are not like that. They are much more you know if uh, unless they're just unless they really want to go to a. USC or UCLA or something like that. It's just about, you know, and it's also and another thing about the California prospects. They're they're better academically, in my opinion. They're they're less academic threats for the hmm. most part. Maybe uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, the Pac-12 championship game plenty of good seats available, twenty thousand empties at kickoff. Maybe that has something to do with the uh, laid back nature of things. Yeah, laid back nature of things. Yeah, absolutely. 
You're listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Our guest is Corey Long in studio. He is our in-house recruiting expert. And the SDS podcast is brought to you by Ticket City. While the regular season is sadly in the rearview mirror already, your holiday season is chock full of bowl games. Nine of the 14 teams in the SEC are going bowling. Missouri is going to play Texas. Texas A&M gets Wake Forest. Kentucky goes up against Northwestern. Mississippi State gets Louisville. South Carolina and Michigan will be fun. Auburn plays pesky UCF. LSU gets Notre Dame in another bowl game. And of course, college football playoff, Georgia and Alabama have both qualified. We've been working with Ticket City for a long time. They are the experts in the business, having served over a million and a half customers They've been the place to go for 30 years. Best of all, Ticket City is offering $20 off for all Saturday Down South readers and listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com, enter the discount code SDS20 at checkout, and you're going to get $20 off the game of your choice. That's TicketCity.com, discount code SDS20. Get off the couch, go to the game. It's a bowl game, remember. And visit Ticket City today. All right, Corey, let's have a little fun here. Look, I I don't have nearly the recruiting experience you do. I've been around it enough. It's a dirty business. It's a really, really dirty business. Just tell us how dirty it is. What's you know safe for the podcast format here? Oh, it's not that bad. It, it, you know, it gets a little, it gets a little grungy at times. Before we get into that, I'm just reading. Arkansas has a has a commit named Bumper Pool. Bumper Pool. Bumper Pool. Is that his first and that last name? That is first name? and last name. Bumper Pool. That's news to me. Yes. I mean, is his brother's name Nine Ball? I'm just curious. You <laughs> Please know? tell me he's a corner. <laughs> no, he's a, he's an inside linebacker out of right Lucas, now. Texas. I see Big that. Big kid. 6'3", 220-ish. I'm not going to. Lovejoy High School. Yeah, Bumper Pool. Bumper Pool. I'm going to make fun of him at that size, though. Mm. Bumper Bumper mm. pool. No, okay. Well, <laughs> that's every, incredible. Everybody loves, you know, because I was so caught up in the Alex Collins story. Everybody loves to hear that. And I could, now that all, pretty much all, everybody involved is gone somewhere else, I can tell a little bit, little bits and pieces. He's doing it. great things for the Ravens, by the doing way. So great I, th- I think this story is ready to go. Yeah, doing great things. Just had a, had a wonderful game on Sunday and a, and a, and a great young man. I'm, I'm going to start that off by saying Alex is a fine young man. And, Considering what happened to him, he handled it, handled it about as well as anybody could be expected. I was so, curious how he ended up in Fayetteville from Florida in the first place. Well, you know, the original idea was he wanted to go to Florida State. He had come up to the camp. He was really close with Eddie Grand. Uh, they decided that uh, Dalvin was going to be their quarterback during that. Uh, I mean, their, their running back during that uh, that that particular cycle. Uh, they had originally had a. a a, uh, a commit from Joseph Yearby, and a Yearby backed off, ended up going to Miami, and they uh, and Dalvin Cook, I think, did Clemson, then maybe did Florida, and then eventually uh, went to decided on uh, at the Under Armour game. Yeah, he flipped from Florida to Florida State. Yeah, the Under Armour before uh, during the Under Armour practice week. So, so so Alex was you know out there and uh, looking at different options, but I think he liked Arkansas. Brett had just gotten there; they were going to be a power running team alex was a good fit for what they were doing uh they were getting another kid that he had a good relationship with out of a, a big lineman out of uh booker t washington high school a big kid i can't his name escapes me right now but anyway i'm i'm down in south florida i'm working for espn at the time 
And I'm, I'm doing my due diligence. I had went down to Booker T. Washington where Matthew Thompson, Matthew Thomas was signing. And I was just, and I was driving back and uh, I get a call uh, and it says, you know, go, where are you at right now? And I was about to head, I think to Keith Bryant's ceremony. He was a kid out of Palm beach. Uh, and I, I said, well, I'm about to head to Keith Bryant's. He goes, well, when you're done with there, something's going on. At plantation with Alex Collins. Okay, fine. So I go and I, I made some phone calls. Called up my uh, good friend Larry Bluestein uh, down there, and he gave me the idea. Well, Alex was set to go to Arkansas. Miami had been coming on really strong as in, in the last little bit. Alex's mom shows up just decked out in Miami gear, like <laughs> orange and green head to toe. She, uh, she is not going to, she's not going to sign this letter of it. She's not going to co-sign for this letter of intent. Yeah. We've no, heard these stories before. No way, no how rumor has, and this was a secondhand story, uh, that she took the letter of intent and skedaddled. Like she either, Locked herself in a in, in like a like a, like a like a utility closet or <laughs> left this or something. They, they did not have the letter of intent. By the time we, I got to the school, I got to school with a guy named Steve Gorton who was working for the uh, South Florida Sun Sentinel at the time, and I think now he's since went on to uh, Columbus in Ohio. We get there, we kind of you know the there. The, the, the principal, one of the administrators comes out and says, you know, we're not going to do anything today. We don't need media. This whole thing's crazy. He's not really willing to answer anything. We say, you know, do you have the letter of intent? Did she take the letter of intent? And, uh, you know, he kind of grins and just leads it off. So this is, a, this is a long day. So, like I said, Alex was a great kid. There was a big, there was a signing day thing happening that night in South Florida that Larry Bluestein put on at, at one of the restaurants down there, and Alex was at it, and he was he was smiling, having a great time. He wouldn't talk about it, but you know he seemed to be fairly uh, you know fairly um, fairly confident that he'd be able to go to Arkansas. So the next day comes. I knew some Arkansas coaches at the time. Charlie Partridge was uh, the guy that recruited South Florida for um, for for our for the Razorbacks. And we talked a little bit, and I I'd met Charlie on a few other occasions, and you know, and I, I always thought Charlie was a really honest guy. And he said, you know, well, this is what happened. He goes, you know, we told him that hey, if this is gonna in any way, you know, fracture your family, we'll we'll gladly, you know, you sign wherever you need to sign in order to, you know, make your family life easy. Very but, altruistic. Yeah, and but Alex said, you know, no, I, I I'm gonna sign with Arkansas. That's where I want to be. And uh, I, I remember just doing a ton of media. I think there was the one time I did Sports Center in my life, a ton of other radio stuff. Uh, so anyway, we kind of we finally get the word that okay, Alex is going to sign. I don't know who found his father. I don't think his father. I'm not sure if his father lived in South Florida or lived out in a, on one of the islands. But they found his father. They hunted down his dad because they needed his, a signature. Yeah, needed a signature. Wow. So the that Thursday, or that, that thir- yeah, that Thursday, at another at a restaurant, Alex signs with he has his, his, his dad there, has his grandma. He signs. It, it was funny because uh, 
Most was made about his signing outfit. He wore like these camouflage overalls with a camouflage tie. It was actually pretty funny. And where was mom when all this was mom going down? Was not, mom was nowhere to be found. Wow. And I remember talking to him afterwards. And like I said, he was great. He couldn't have been better throughout this process. And, you know, and he said, you know, it's going to take a while for his mom to heal. It's like she was hurt. She really wanted him to be close to home. Uh, he, you know, he said at the end of the day, he, he really tried his hardest to explain to her that he felt like this was the best situation for him. It was the best opportunity for him to get what he wanted. He loved Arkansas. When he went up there, he fell in love with it. He fell in love with what they wanted to do. He loved the people, and he just felt comfortable. Plantation isn't like the rest of Broward County. It's not like Fort Lauderdale, for example. Plantation also produced Sony Michelle, am I right? Uh, well, American Heritage did. Sony's, okay. Sony's from... He's not necessarily from plantation, okay. uh, but uh, you know, uh, plant. You know, Alex is more of a plantation kid, and it's it's a little different part of Broward County. It's more like Davie. It's a little more quieter, a little more very remote. Yeah, I'm not gonna say rural, but it's not it's not like Fort Lauderdale or Hollywood, for example. So you know, he liked the the, the atmosphere in Fayetteville a little bit more. I, I think Miami was a little much for him. So you know, it, it gets done. His dad was a really kind kind to talk to us. Uh, you know, he said, you know, I didn't know a lot about what was going on. I just, you know, I just want to do whatever, whatever makes my son happy. I remember Alex saying that, you know, he bought his mom one of the Razorback hats. He's like, I'll get her to her one day. You know, she's going to come around. And I think she did. You know, it was, uh, you know, that was definitely a, it was, a, it was a crazy story. It was, it was hilarious. It, it goes up there with, uh, oh God, there's the, what was the Under Armour one? Oh. The kid plays for the Giants now. Who oh, yeah. It? it was uh, Landon Collins. Yeah, Landon yeah. Collins. Yeah. His mom was pissed. Mom was so not happy. Mom, so I shouldn't say that. His mom it's was mine. really angry. Yeah. She she was angry for a while. Lifelong LSU folks. Yeah. yeah that was a big deal. I mean, that was, that was kind of uncomfortable because we thought Landon might need a ride home. We were looking at like some of that our signing was televised <laughs> and everything. And mom was not happy. I remember that. One. Mom was mom gave him a look like, you know, like you were not welcome in his house anymore when you saw with Alabama. Well, I think it worked out for both young men. Yeah. Uh, Collins goes on to be an All-American in the first round draft pick. And uh, Collins was, and I'm sorry, yeah, they're both Collins, I guess. Both Collins, yeah. yeah Alice Collins, 1,700 yard back and now in the league getting paid and doing just fine. So Absolutely. I guess all's well that ends well. Yeah. Um, we sort of referenced something earlier and I want to circle back to it. Uh, you mentioned seven-on-seven seven football. Yes. And uh, I don't know if you do a whole lot of recruiting when it comes to basketball as well, but most recruitniks will tell you that high school basketball now is completely useless. inconsequential. Yeah. It is useless. No one cares who you play for. If you win a state title, it's all about AAU and yeah. all about the Nike camp and blah, blah, blah. High school basketball means nothing. Yeah. Is there ever going to be a point where maybe that happens for high school football because seven-on-seven seven has become so important and the camp circuit has become so important? Coach Muschamp, who we talked about earlier, he flat-out says he won't offer a kid unless he comes to his camp. Yeah. Is high school football maybe in danger? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think so because seven-on-seven seven is only a part of high school football. You know, no one can recruit a lineman at seven on seven because they course. don't exist. They don't play in it. it it's just a part. I, I think some seven on seven coaches would like to be a greater part of the process than they are, but I, I don't think so. I don't necessarily believe coaches who say we don't talk to seven on seven coaches. That's a lie. 
Uh, I, I don't believe that they say that we don't recruit kids based on seven on seven. That's a lie. That's how Amari Cooper got recruited. I, was, I swear, yeah. I was just about yeah, to say, I, mean, like, I went to IMG for a national seven on seven tournament. Yeah. And I watched a bunch of football being played. And I said, who is that kid? It was and, Amari Cooper. Yeah. Three years later, he's the number four pick in the draft. Yeah. So and, don't tell me you guys aren't paying attention. Yeah, because in Amari's case, he never was... He was at North Miami Northwestern. It was a stacked program. He dealt with injuries, so his first healthy time playing football was that off season. He goes up to um, they go up to at the time the uh, the opening was called I think the Nike Seven On maybe it still was the Seven On. Uh, dominates there, dominates everything. Goes to the camps, <clears throat> dominated everywhere. I mean, everywhere he went, he was the best player. No one had seen him in pads yet. But he was already considered one of the top 100 players, and he he turned out he turned out to be as good as advertised. But yes, yeah, so, I'd say so. Absolutely, you know. So in, in cases they do, they don't. I'm not saying they like it, but yeah, absolutely. In situations they do have to look at seven on seven. But I do understand Muschamp's point. I don't. I I agree with that. I don't think you should recruit a kid, any kid that unless they come to your camp or come on your campus during that summertime. Uh, you know, I find I find I find the uh, the prospect camps that, that are held at the colleges to be the best things. That that to me is the number one more than anything else. Are going to the prospect camps that the schools uh, put on during the summer times because I think from a from a from a coach standpoint, you see you, you get a chance to have your top targets on your campus, and you get a chance to have them compete against what might be secondary targets. And you can kind of figure out who the real deal is in those situations. And I think from a recruit standpoint, you really get to see coaches a little bit more in their environment. You know, they're not they're not they're not in your home. They're not kissing up to you. They're not telling you how great you are. When you get out there in that camp, they're coaching you for real. They're they're screaming at you. They're telling you what you did wrong and they want to see how you can handle that on a daily basis. I think it's crucial for recruits to get to camps. Yeah, I, uh, I've never been a huge fan of Coach Urban Meyer, but he has always said very, very clearly that he doesn't worry about the camp so much. And sometimes these kids that are being recruited will talk to him and ask him for advice. What can I do to get an offer from this place? What can I do to improve my game here? And his answer is usually go in a state championship. Go be the best player you can be on your high school team. That's what I'm going to notice. That's yeah. what my compatriots are going to notice. Yeah. I don't care if you won four, three, five at some anonymous camp somewhere. Go blow somebody away in a state title game, and we're going to pay attention to you. Yeah. I, for me, the way I evaluate talent, I, I, I evaluate them primarily off of games. Absolutely. That's when I can tell you a player, and for me, you know, the players that stand out are whether they're winning or losing, um, you know, whether they're a, on, on a winning team or the losing team. It's just how they play. And I, I've always said that Travis Henry is probably my favorite um, story about a kid that regardless of what the game situation was, he himself decided he was going to be unstoppable. Uh, and it was it was 96. It was in the Class 3A state championship against uh, uh, Union County. In Florida, Frostproof, Florida. I Frost, he's from Frostproof, I and uh, yeah, and he and it was, they were playing Union County, and Union County had you know big money. Uh, Gerard Butler was his name, and they had uh, Benny Alexander. I mean, they were loaded, and they were just beating the tar out of Frostproof. But 
That particular day, regardless of what the scoreboard said, the final score was 67-30. to 30. Travis accounted for all 30 of Frostproof's points, 328 yards rushing, 68 yards receiving, returned a couple punts. He did it all. And that was that mentality. That I, from that point on, that's the mentality that I like to see. It's the idea that regardless of, all right, you might beat my team, but you're not going to stop me. And I know Gerard Warren, not Gerard, brother, Gerard Warren. Oh, yeah. And I remember Florida seeing yeah, and I remember seeing Gerard Warren, we call him Big Money, a little, maybe about two years down the road, and we still talked about that game. And it still bugged him that as good as that Union County team was, and they had given up maybe 40 points total that season, like we couldn't stop them. And he said it bugged us that we, we keyed our entire week on style. That was the only player on Frostproof's team that was worth anything. Couldn't stop him. And that's what you look for. I think that's what Urban looks for. And a recruit, give me that guy that just out there refuses to be stopped. That regardless of the situation, if you know the team might be down, he's that kid's not going to quit. He's not going to quit, and he's not going to allow his teammates to quit. Yeah, Travis Henry apparently unstoppable on the field and off the field based on some of the alimony <laughs> checks he's written yeah. over the years. Yes. So let's uh low, low blow. I admit it. So let's bring it back before we close out here. I'm curious. One more question about the early signing period. Okay. You're wearing an Under Armour All America hat right now. Always uh, repping that. Of course. My, I mean, it, it's my I mean, friends. I, I love the Under Armour gear. I wear it all the time when I'm working out. It's a phenomenal event they put on. But how much is the early signing period potentially going to impact the Under Armour game? Because Typically, the Under Armour game is before signing day. That was a great opportunity for kids to commit or flip or do other things. They're recruiting each other, trying to get to school together. But if a kid has got the ink dry on December 20th, why in the Sam Hill would his new college coach let him play in the Under Armour game? Is that potentially something that's going to that's gonna go by the wayside because of this early signing period? We'll see. I, I don't see it being an issue this year because everything's still very new. And you don't want to take that opportunity away from a young man. You don't, man. but you, you also really can't don't. sign a kid to a binding scholarship and then he blows out an ACL in the Under Armour game. Yeah, I, you know, you don't want that to happen either. Luckily, I've, I've, I haven't i have seen any blown knees in Under Armour games yet in my life, you know, knock on wood. But, yeah, I, I don't see it I don't see it being an issue this year. We'll see. I mean, heck, I might – I'll probably have to drop a text to uh, my good buddy Tom Luganbill and ask him if it's been a problem for him in terms of uh, – of kids or if they if they're not going to allow it I, I don't know exactly uh most of the you know in the past it was just in that particular game it was just about early enrollees it was never about early signing so I don't know how many early signings are actually going to play in it. and like you said yeah I mean now you're playing in a game that isn't you know it's not a practice it isn't sanctioned by the by the school so uh I do say that I think, you know, during the week they do as fine a job as they can of, you know, of the kids protecting each other, of, you know, they, they do plenty of contact, but it's, you know, I think I think the kids are all about clean play, particularly Those one-on-ones are fun to watch. Oh, my God, they're a lot of watch. fun to watch. I remember watching Cyrus Quanjo and Jadavian Clowney go wow. one-on-one. Yeah, wow. exactly. That's about as fun as you can imagine right there. And uh, you know, and and really just watching Jadavion that whole week, and watching uh, oh god, you know, just so many great linemen from that particular year. That was one of my first years being part of uh, the ESPN family, being part of Under Armour game was uh, and it was uh, it was it was it was amazing. Like I, I didn't until you get to see it really close up, you really don't have an idea how much talent was out there. I remember uh, 
you know, Lyle Collins. Uh, Lyle Collins and, and Jadavion went head down in the game a lot. They didn't go head down in practice because they were on different. Uh, they were on different teams, but in the game, they finally had a couple of one-on-one battles, and it was really impressive to watch. Corey, that was a whole lot of fun. I hope we can do this again sometime. Absolutely, absolutely. Luckily, I only live 15 minutes away from the studio, so it's good. (laughs) Sounds great. That was Corey Long, the recruiting guru for Saturday Down South. Remember to follow him on Twitter, at Corey Long. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Special thanks to our friends at WDAE in Tampa, as well as our sponsors, Crystal and Ticket City. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast can be found. Be sure to give the show a rating as well. My name is John Christ, and for all SEC all the time, visit SaturdayDownSouth.com.